out came the security delegation and you know with Prince Albert, with President Mandela and, and at that point Naomi Campbell was also walking out with President Mandela and um, exactly as they said they stopped in the middle of the lobby and Zelda Lagrange was there and she beckoned for Dougie and I to make our way to the security blanket and it opens and they let us in and Welcome back to season two of the Business Culture Podcast, a platform to learn through the power of context and story. It's great to be back with you. This season is all about impact. I'll be chatting to impact makers across industries and geographies to understand how they have made true impact on their customers, colleagues, and communities. Our first guest for season two is Brett Graham, director of the Laureus Sport for Good Foundation in South Africa. What was initially meant to be a brief temp job upon arriving in London in the year 2000, turned out to be 20 years and counting with the remarkable Laureus Sport for Good Foundation. Let's hear what it means to work within a truly purpose-led organization. Brady, thanks very much for being on the podcast. It's uh, lovely to have you. As, uh, as the next guest in our journey. Um, and as our listeners know by now, uh, the first question is always for you to give us a little bit of uh, context around your specific journey. So in your own words, um, how have we got to where we are today? Yeah, geez, I don't know how far back you want me to start with that one. Um, <laughs> I'll leave that to you. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, certainly from a, <clears throat> from a career perspective, uh, you know, my, my kind of, Youth, uh, university days, etc. I spent um, came out of uh, Trevedon College, mm-hmm. the border. Came out of Trevedon College in 1995. Um, as I like to joke with our chairman, um, Mr. Mornay Duplessis, the Grey College of KZM, <laughs> uh, much to his dismay. But uh, came out of Trevedon College and uh, spent a year at Maritzburg University, um, as with other students before me, Maritzburg broke me mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a student and too much fun was, was had and, and so my mother, single mother at the time, sent me to Varsity College, um, okay. keep a closer eye on me and uh, those, uh, that was my, my kind of Varsity tenure, did yeah. uh, two years at, at, at Varsity College and then uh, did what many South Africans at that stage of their lives did. They tried to make use of the two-year holiday visa in, in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in now the early 2000s. Um, I jumped on, on a plane with uh, my best mate, uh, Doug James, mm-hmm. jumped on the plane with him and off we went to London to to basically travel, right? The, the plan was to get odd jobs here and there, make some money, but enough to basically cruise around Europe and, and do some travel. Um, and on landing in, in London and doing a few odd jobs, uh, we, I had the contact details for a, a gentleman by the name of Ian Banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ian at the time uh, was looking after 
British American tobaccos uh, and, and at the Rothmans at the time, mm -hmm. uh, their sports sponsorship portfolio, and he was involved in a, in a number of things, well, at least at the time before I contacted him, that's what I knew of him. Mm -hmm. um, and Doug and I had sent our CVs through and said, look, we're looking for work, anything, you know, temp work even. Um, and he said, come in, we've got an interesting proposition mm -hmm. and, and something interesting that we're working on. Uh, and that turned out to be what was going to be the Laureus World Sports Awards. So this was now, uh, I think it was late March, early April 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ian had been uh, seconded by Mr. Johan Rupert mm -hmm. to, we had this vision of a sports awards like the Oscars, mm -hmm. but it would need to have a significant charitable element attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, Ian was the then CEO of Laureus and, and really trying to put on this first awards at the time. You can imagine a very crazy period trying yeah. to get this event on. It was in two months time, late May. Um, and so these two South African boys pitch up at the office. There's a South African CEO. The general manager is South African. They, the PR lady is South African. So there's this like strong South African influence at yeah. the very beginning. And we have our, our first, uh, if you could call it an interview and Ian, uh, like he said, likes to refer to us, myself and Dougie, as employees five and six. Um, <laughs> and we joined Laureus and uh, yeah, a couple months out from the first awards being held in, in May mm -hmm. um, 2000. And, and so we kind of started our Laureus journey mm -hmm. and, and that was just a frenetic couple of weeks uh, or sorry, a couple of months before the big event. Mm -hmm. um, we found ourselves in Monaco I mean, you know, Young Bucks uh, completely blown away by the glitz and the glam of Monaco firstly, but then obviously what the event was trying to create, mm. you know, and as an avid sports fan, having legends of sport from around the world uh, who are involved on the academy side of things, um, our World Sports Academy as, as we refer to them as, and mm. then obviously the nominees as well as the music stars, film stars, fashion models. I mean, in the very beginning, the the idea by from Mercedes and and, mm. and Richmond, at the time, who were the the founding patrons, still are the founding patrons. Their ambition was to kind of create a very big splash mm. at the beginning, so that people understood what Laureus was all about, yeah. um, and and could attract interest to these high-profile brands behind it. And um, we, yeah, we we weren't sure how long we would be. At Laureus, right? Yeah. We had a temporary contract, Dougie and I, and um, we just knew you're in Monaco, make the most of this, soak it all in. Yeah. Um, you know, we could get back to London, contracts ended, and we move on to the next, yeah, the next gig, right? So we just, uh, you know, we, we were what they would refer to, I guess, in the event industry, gophers, right? Yeah. Literally, you did everything. Yeah. You know, there was no like set job template for you. It mm -hmm. was just every department needs help, or there's some fire that needs to be put out. So you're running around Monaco in a smart car um, trying to help out uh, anyone and everyone. Yeah. Um, and so we, we were out there for about 10 days in mm -hmm. total. And one of, the, one of the tasks we were given in the build-up to the event was to host uh, President Mandela's security delegation. Uh, he was going to be coming to Monaco. We had found this out maybe three or four days before the event mm -hmm. um, as a special guest and the the almost honorary patron of, of Laureus mm -hmm. in, in year one. Um, and so we had to host his security delegation and show them all the venues around Monaco, make sure they were comfortable. 
where President Mandela would be, uh, you know, either staying mm. or performing some form of duty. Sure. Um, and so we became quite close, right? These two young South Africans mm. and, and obviously the this, this South African security team. Um, and so I remember on the, on the morning of the awards, we had to have kind of our last security briefing with them. Mm. And they had said to Dougie and I, have you guys uh, ever met President Mandela? And we said, no, you know, obviously and we, had never, we had never met him before, never had the, uh, the, the privilege to mm. do so. And they said, okay, well, you know, you guys have been amazing with us and we want to create an opportunity for both of you to, to meet President Mandela. His schedule is really crazy. Mm. He finishes, when the event finishes tonight, uh, he's going straight to the hotel and tomorrow morning he's got an early flight, private plane back to South Africa. So the only opportunity we can offer you guys is literally after the awards, when they finished, the... Um, the, the protocol will dictate that mm. Prince Albert and President Mandela will walk out together separate from the crowd or mm -hmm. the audience on the night and in the lobby we will stop, open the security blanket and invite you and Doug to come in and meet President Mandela. Sure. And so that was, that yeah. was the plan and so there we stood, uh, we get to awards night now, we're standing, Dougie and I at the back of the hall, obviously mm. we're not seated. Um, in the auditorium, but there was no nothing was going to keep us out from watching yeah. part of the awards, and certainly when President Mandela was delivering his now iconic speech. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we watched the awards play out, and then we quickly hustle around the back of the auditorium to the front of the lobby, awaiting kind of our, our moment to, yeah. to meet President Mandela. And yeah, it was just an incredible uh, kind of moment as it played out yeah. because. In the lobby, there was probably about 200 paparazzi photographers, you know, people wanting photos. Mm. And um, I remember standing there with Doug, both of us in the exact same black suits that we had bought at Next in London as the only black suits we had <laughs> with us to wear at the awards. So we ourselves actually looked like hardcore security at the time. But uh, out came the security delegation and, you know, with Prince Albert, with President Mandela, and, and at that point, Naomi Campbell was also mm. walking out with President Mandela. And um, exactly as they said, they stopped in the middle of the lobby, and Zelda Lagrange was there, and yeah. she beckoned for Dougie and I to make our way to the security blanket, and it opens, and they let us in, mm -hmm. and we start talking to President Mandela. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget the, the kind of photography going on around the security blanket, you know, these paparazzi taking all these photos thinking, who is this yeah. that President Mandela has stopped to talk to? There must be someone significant, um, you know, that, that he's, he's gone to yeah. all this trouble. Uh, but anyway, I mean, we just stood there and, you know, incredible conversation with yeah. him saying, you know, this is the start of something special. This is a great organization. I believe you guys have just started at mm -hmm. Laureus. Uh, don't forget your roots. We need we need young people back in our country, building our country. So okay. learn what you can here, but make sure you come back into the country and Amazing. and inject that uh, you know inject that back into the republic, as you yeah. said. And um, and yeah, we uh, we stood there, we chatted to him, and then they 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 let us uh, they let us out again, and and off he went. And as soon as that kind of security delegation left, yeah, um, we had about. 20, 30 people around us, you know, media, 
right, what are your names? What are your names? Who are you? Because yes. obviously they've now taken photos. Yes, yeah. And they're looking to allocate a credit to, to <laughs> the system. We just answered obviously very honestly and truthfully and you could see the look of disappointment <laughs> on their faces. Very bored with, uh, with, what, we had, uh, with what we were telling them. Sure. But yeah, I think for Dougie and I at that time, and, and it's, it, I guess the, the story is important that, it's, that I'm referencing Doug in all of this as well, because you know, now 20 years later, mm. both of us are still involved at Laureus. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been involved uh, you know, this entire time with this organization that you know, in a very short space of time stopped being a job in the true sense of the word. And, sure. and it was really just a, an incredible journey. And yeah. um, purpose-led opportunity that, mm -hmm. that we found ourselves in by pure chance. I mean, it was a timing thing like most things in life, I guess, but uh, yeah, just an incredible opportunity. And, and, and so that career of mine, uh, you know, very boring from a CV standpoint because sure. it's, it's 20 years of, of one organization mm -hmm. and in different capacities, obviously, over that time. But, uh, you know, it's certainly become a significant part of my life, of, of yeah. Doug's life, you know. Uh, you know, sits, sits in London at the head office. Uh, sure. I find myself from the head office now back in South Africa for the past six years, mm -hmm. uh, fortunate to be the, the director of the foundation here in South Africa. But, um, but yeah, so, I mm -hmm. mean, that's really the, the journey into the career. And, and obviously, yeah. uh, it's been a, a fairly long one, a long stint at, at Laureus. That's incredible, Brady. Um, I, I have an immediate question just off the back of what you just said in terms of being a purpose-led um, organization. Because I think a lot of companies these days are trying to promote themselves as purpose-led in different ways and forms. What for you, I mean, you've kind of seen it in the flesh, but what for you differentiates and how did you feel that Glorious was really a purpose-led organization? Is there anything that sort of sticks in your mind or any way that you would define the difference between like a purpose-led environment versus something that's really just out there to, um, to make a profit? Yeah, so I'd say I'd say from from the outset, and you know, from from day one at Laureus, the 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 thinking around the business model, if I could call it at, yeah. at that point. I mean, obviously, for for many people, it it is an incredible communications platform, and and certainly that was obviously an objective in the beginning mm. uh, between two significant companies. That this communications platform, the awards that that brings sportsmen and women from around the world together to celebrate excellence sure. um, in any given calendar year that that this was a phenomenal opportunity anyway but i think uh you know mr rupert's plan from the beginning was it's amazing to have that platform but what are we doing with that platform mm. um it can't just be an award show for the sake of an award show so there needed to be a purpose from day mm. one there needed to be a purpose and that purpose was by name the sport for good foundation okay. you know what we know now is the the laureus sport for good movement mm. and um that was that was integral to the business plan from the very beginning and whilst we had a plan and even by the first awards we had i think at the time three programs in mind where sport was being used to effect change in, in those communities you mm. know the one was in kenya the one was in germany and the one was in uh, it was a midnight basketball league in virginia in the usa and we we had started off uh, in year one with with those three programs and so as i say there was a there was a concept of what we should do and mm. the concept of sport for good was there but until 
Madiba actually stood up on that stage in front of an incredible array of, of athletes and mm. personalities and politicians, princes, yeah. um, and, and, and basically set the tone for mm. what would become our ethos for the next 20 years. Um, it, it was in a way from an experience that he had garnered from 95, yeah. but also visionary in many respects because he was, you know, he, he said it very clearly that there's, there is an ability. Yeah. There is an ability for sport to break down barriers, to unite, yeah. to talk to youth in a language that they understand specifically, more so than any government, more mm. so than politicians, you know. Absolutely. And so the, 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 kind of, the, the kind of task was set for us there, the bar was set yeah. by, by Madiba to say, you guys have got this ability, not just you, the management and the organization, but you, those athletes that are standing on stage, mm. uh, you know, the academy, the initial academy members, the Boris Beckers, Sean Fitzpatrick, Mornay Duplessis, etc. Sure. These guys had a responsibility to take this forward and so I think once those words were uttered by somebody as significant as Madiba mm. it really bonded that group of athletes and sure. and firstly led Laureus to being very much an athlete-led mm. organization in the beginning which meant that when you've got such a strong volunteer an important and strong volunteer base mm. right in terms yeah. of these athletes giving their time um, it paved the way for us to be able to do things that many organizations in our space couldn't do. Yeah. Um, it, it, it gave us access to not just potential funders and companies and that, but access to influential organizations, to, to governments, mm -hmm. to cities, regions, whatever it might be, that, that we, had, we had a degree of, of access that, mm. that a lot of organizations, certainly in a very short lifespan that we had at that time, yeah. we, had, we, had, we had been able to secure it um, pretty quickly. So. Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, in the very beginning, there was the purpose was there. We knew what we needed to get to. Okay. I think the challenge that we had was this concept of sport being able to address a community issue wasn't tried and tested. It sounded mm. amazing. It sounded very sexy. So when, when Madiba says these words mm. and when people talk about sport having this ability, most people sitting around a table would agree and go, you're right, absolutely, sport can do this. But yeah. how's it been tested? Yeah. And so in the first stage of, of Laureus, we had to kind of find ways to justify what we meant by that, mm. you know, and, and rationalize it, empirical evidence, research, monitoring and evaluation, we would eventually get to down the line. But, you know, it, it, it was important that we moved away from what was a very dreamy subject you know, yeah. to actually saying, guys, this is this is real. Sport yeah. really is changing lives. It yeah. really is helping kids in disadvantaged Absolutely. communities. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely from the beginning. It and was, no one better to uh, push that message than old Madiba himself. No, um, no, absolutely. Which kind of brings me on to that next question, because as you said, you know, starting something out when you don't have anyone like that behind your name, I think myself and probably our listeners would be fascinated to know how did you guys go about um, bringing in the likes of a Madiba and the incredible ambassadors that you guys managed to initially get? I mean, now you've got an amazing list of, of ambassadors around the globe. But, but can you give us some insight into how the, the, the process that was followed to try and lure those guys in, or was it quite an easy sell to them? I mean, we've, you've got to credit uh, in the very beginning uh, a gentleman that, that we referred to earlier, Mr. Ian Banner, okay. you know, who, who um, Jan Rupert had entrusted with setting up this organization 
from day one and getting the awards off the ground and, and part of getting it off the ground meant Ian on a plane flying to corners of the globe chatting to sporting legends and introducing them to the concept which at the time was a piece of paper a document mm. yeah. illustrating a, a plan a blueprint for what we wanted but really nothing more than that right mm. so you know a massive credit to Ian in terms of being able to sell that concept oh. to the likes of Michael Jordan to mm. Boris Becker Seb Coe Edwin Moses you know Gary Player Jack Nicklaus all of these legends of sport um, who I think in the beginning all you know maybe skeptical as to what this was all about especially when you've got two big brands behind it like Richmond and Daimler um, because I think there's skepticism as to what is it that these two brands want out of this right I mean you, you can imagine down the line now looking backwards you can go all right there's an element of credibility behind them sure, but at the time absolutely. it would have been a difficult sell to say is this not exploitation of some commercial sort with all of these athletes is this mm -hmm. just not a very clever way for Richmond and Daimler to have access to all of these these sure. legends of sport, so I think Ian, you know, as I say, uh, you know, did an incredible job in selling the concept and getting mm -hmm. us to a position where we had these incredible personalities in one place at one time, with a purpose in mind, mm -hmm. and the the as they say, the coup d'état was uh, Johan Rupert getting President Mandela to Monaco. Mm. And, and Mornay tells the story best about you know, him sitting in a room with all of these incredible legends of sport um, and Johan Rupert trying to sell this concept to them of Laureus mm. and, and the long-term vision and realizing that there was some skepticism in the room and saying, if you don't believe me, then you need to listen to the gentleman that we have waiting outside the door. And he walked across to the door and opened up and there was President Mandela and he escorted President Mandela into the room and Mornay, as I say, tells it best when he mm. says literally every ego of the 30 odd people that were in that boardroom sure. went out the window yeah. because here was, you know, Nelson Mandela standing in front of them and saying, guys, this is, this is, this is doable. Yeah. What you guys are all able to achieve as a collective. Yeah. Um, is far more powerful than anything else that we could do as governments, you yeah. know, nation builders, wherever. So I think, uh, you know, that, that really was intrinsically important to selling the concept to these people, mm. that, 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 that this was a message that came through from Nelson Mandela himself to them in private. Mm -hmm. And then later that evening on stage, when obviously, as I say, he, he gave that, that iconic speech mm -hmm. uh, about sports ability, you know, to, yeah. to change the world. And I think, I think that was the selling point right there. I think once you had convinced that 30, yeah. that the, 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 the traction, the momentum just built from there because yeah. they realized that this was far greater than just an award show at the end of the day. And what's so inspiring, I think, from a South African perspective is the fact that, you know, the idea, the IP, the, the sale, everything, now that it's a global brand, all started, you know, right here in, in South Africa in terms of yeah. what, what the belief was of what it could be on a, on a global scale. Yeah. I don't think, I'm assuming, but I, I don't think a lot of people know that about Laureus and, and, the, fa and the roots that it actually has in, uh, from a South African perspective. I mean, it's seen now as a global presence, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it started very much you know, within these borders, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, no, it's strong, strong roots to, yeah. to South Africa. South Africa. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, our, our podcast is all about building cultures and what I, what I find so inspirational about the Laureus story is kind of, 
in, in a slightly different sense, you guys have built an amazing culture over your last 20 years within that business. And I, I don't think it's easy to build a, a build a culture within a business. I think there's a lot of boxes that need to be ticked and challenges. And, and one of the questions we always like to ask our guests is, you know, if you look back and you reflect on those 20 years, what are some of the moments where, you know, if you, if you do reflect, you think that was a serious learning exercise or that was, you know, quite a tough thing to overcome? Are there any of those kinds of uh, experiences or memories that you can share? Yeah, look, I think, yeah, I think when you're working in an organization that is, I mean, you know, outside of just the, what the foundation's work is, uh, if you're working in, in an event space, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm not by no means am I including us uh, in the likes of an Olympics or a football World Cup or whatever from an, from an event standpoint, but, um, you know, when you're hosting a World Sports Awards, which, um, you know, does integrate uh, governments, cities, mm -hmm. stakeholders, um, brands, personalities, you know, like, like Laureus does. I mean, sure, there's, there's always stressful moments, you know, yeah. there's, um, you know, putting in awards together when you've only been given the go six weeks before in Russia, mm -hmm. you know, working in Russia for the first time and, and, and being part of a team that delivers an awards there, working in China. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different cultural elements that come into the mix when yeah. you're dealing in, in these different environments. So there's always, if I could say, event stresses where you kind of get to the end of it and you go, that was close. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you're flying by the seat of your pants in, in, in some respects. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's also been, there's also been growth moments, uh, you know, for, for the organization over the years. Um, you know, we were equally, you know, if, we, if we're looking at, at landmark moments, we were affected by the recession in, in 2008, 2009. Um, you know, that, that impacted us and obviously our partners, our, our funding partners significantly. And so, yeah, there's, there's, certainly, there's certainly moments throughout the 20 years where, where there's obstacles. Um, but I'd say, I think, I think with us, you know, if you're talking about culture, certainly from a Laureus standpoint, um, it's quite a familial approach, if mm. I could say, to everything that we do. It's uh, the the team is generally a small team. I mean, all things considered, um, it's you know you're talking about forty people full time in London, you know, running the entire global operation. Uh, here in South Africa, I've got a team of seven mm. uh, that works with me that delivers kind of all the the mandate for for Laureus in in mm. South Africa. Um, so it's it's small, it's manageable. As I say, we we're very familial in everything we do. We've got incredible relationships with with our donors, with our funders. They they long term partners, long term funders. It's not one year and out. Uh, you know, our ambassadors, the academy members that I referenced earlier. There's guys there that have been involved since the very beginning, you know, 20 wanted, years down the line. I wanted to ask if I may on that front um, whether you're bringing in a, an ambassador or bringing in a new team member into your team uh, and even perhaps a new uh, new funder is there kind of quite a clear idea of what you know what type of person or what type of entity you're looking at i mean i think people in any business is is obviously critically important but you know from the laureus context perspective is there is there a very clear idea on what type of ambassador you look for um mm. outside of their achievements obviously um, from a personality point of view, same with you know a new staff member. Is there is there a clear view, or is it more of a gut feel kind of thing? It's probably a bit of both. Uh, I would say in the very beginning, when when we weren't as 
if I could say global. And by, by global, I mean where we didn't have national entities outside of a global office. So like the South African team, the Swiss team, the German team, the US team, Argentina, etc., uh, where most of the decisions were going through one office mm. in terms of who are we pulling on board as an ambassador, who, you know, who best represents our values, our brand, sure. what our purpose. Yeah. Um, that, that was far more manageable. I think as you kind of grow, um, you know, there's ambassadors that, you know, perhaps in Switzerland we would never have known of uh, at a global okay. at a global level, right? Mm -hmm. So, absolutely significant and important to the Swiss market and and their deliverables and mandate on the ground in the Swiss territory. Likewise, here in South Africa, mm -hmm. but um, I mean, still absolutely fit our brand. I mean, that still needs to filter through to all of the the local teams cool. in terms of who they get involved. So there's no doubt due diligence and compliance that we would need to put in place to understand who's getting involved mm -hmm. uh, with our brand um, and our organization. But we, we kind of, in a lot of those instances, we leave the, the rationale uh, for the local organization okay. to decide how they're best going to utilize this volunteer's time, okay. right? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. If you've got two, three days a year that you're requiring them for, what is it that you're actually using them for that's yeah. gonna make a difference to your, your organization? So mm -hmm. yeah, that would be the only thing we would, we would pass on there. But you know, generally speaking, if it was only ever left to the global office to try and yeah. decide on ambassadors, I don't think we would have as many as we do involved right now. And, and we wouldn't perhaps have known many of the, yeah. the um, you know, culturally fit uh, individuals that have been appointed mm -hmm. as, as ambassadors. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you guys have brought on some amazing uh, companies as funders and partners and things like that. Um, again, in that sense, do you do they kind of approach you? Do you approach them? Is it does it depend on each instance being different? And again, like, is there a, a clear kind of company you look for? Is it is it really just uh, you know a like-minded view on on what Loris is all about? Yeah. Again, I think it's I think it's a case by case basis. Okay. You know, I think. Um, I think certainly we want to work with with organizations that are in it for the right reason too. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think we ever want to be in a position where uh, certainly as a foundation and, and you know as we all know the NGO space is tough. It's it's a bun fight, mm. right? For for funding and um, for support from from any partner. But but ultimately we we want a partnership and yeah. and I, I know that sounds cheesy. <laughs> um, but the reality is that you know, we've seen a chair in South Africa, you know, I allude to, to Daimler and, you know, Mercedes-Benz's involvement with, with us globally. But if I talk about our involvement with Mercedes-Benz in, in South Africa, it, it, is a, it is a very deep layered partnership that we've been able to work with them on in the last four years. Yeah. You know, traditionally they, they, they didn't fund us significantly in South Africa. And, and that changed about four years ago, okay. uh, five years ago. Um, and now we, we're talking about a significant partnership with them that goes not just from them from a head office standpoint, but you've got their consumers donating to us. You've got uh, you've got their dealerships donating to us. You know they're donating. Uh, Mercedes-Benz financial services are donating, and all of this is within a partnership that also gives value back to them. You know, mm. to their employees, to their consumers. Um, it's also an incredible awareness platform for us to be able to speak to Mercedes-Benz mm. uh, you know, customers at Absolutely. the end of the day to educate them on what Laureus does. You yeah. know, that it's not just a glitz and glam 
award scenario that for 365 days a year there's a significant foundation yeah. working to try and improve the lives of, of kids in, in disadvantaged areas um, yeah. so it's uh, it is about partnership it it's it it can't just be about here is money mm. I want my section 18a tax receipt thanks see you next year mm. it needs to be a far more ingrained partnership for us to actually realize the true value yeah. um, of that so I would say to answer your question you know that's what we would look for yeah. uh, in, in in a partnership um, with with any brand and we've been fortunate uh, you know touch wood to to have any partner that's been involved with us so far to have that level of commitment yeah. uh, you know where there's there's a, a proper involvement a full 100% yeah. involvement from and buy-in should I say from sure. from them I think you and your team have been exceptional at just the fundamentals of building a relationship I think obviously impact is, is, is one of the things that Laureus have done amazingly well in terms of whether it be the YES program or all the other different programs you guys uh, are associated with. But at the end of the day, I think that impact obviously speaks volumes to why guys stick around and also, you know, what they've, how they've contributed. Um, you've, as you've said earlier, you've been with the organization for 20 years, is that right? Yeah. Um, you don't find often uh, individuals these days sticking around in one entity for that long. Um, I know you said in the beginning it, uh, one element was, was the purpose behind it. Is there any other reason or any other, you know, for you, um, something inherent within this business or I suppose within this culture that has made you feel like this is the right place for you? Is there anything that you can articulate? Yeah, probably just cool merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, um, no, I'd say... I'd say it's predominantly the purpose, you know? Yeah. Uh, like for me, that's, that's, it, it's always been what's kept me involved in 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 the company it's um <clears throat> you don't work in an ngo to make money i mean uh, let's let's be honest that's that's not it's not the kind of path to retiring at 50. Yeah. but um it is an incredibly rewarding job mm. uh you know certainly for me in 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 any in any of the capacities i've been involved in at that yeah. laureus it's been incredibly rewarding uh Firstly, and and maybe selfishly, to as a sports as a sports nut, yeah. to be able to to be involved with some of the the most incredible legends of sport, um, you know, and to see their commitment to the greater purpose. But even more so than to actually see you alluded to impact earlier, but actually to see the impact of what it is that we're doing, yeah. right? So. You know the from from fundraising to marketing to um, you know the the on the foundation side the the monitoring and evaluation grant making program management all of this happens on a day to day basis but when we get out onto the ground to the programs who are at the coalface who yeah. are the ones delivering on the ground in adverse conditions and you're seeing the impact that that's having in in communities mm -hmm. and especially when you're involved for as long as I've been to see. A beneficiary that was 11 years old then leave at age 18 and move on to the yes program yeah. and spend a couple of years in our youth program and then they actually employed by the program and now you know, we've got the most incredible story in, in Durban where Nasipi who's been through this entire um, kind of pathway that I've just described is now the executive director of Peace Players South Africa an international NGO that that has a, a site in, in Durban right so you have these incredible stories and you you are you are thankful that you've been able to play a role in somebody seeing 
that pathway play out in their own lives yeah. and there's there's more um we don't have the time now to sit through all of them but it's just incredible seeing what can be done you know with a little bit of application and a little bit of resource and yeah. intent um it's incredible what we can actually do uh, fairly efficiently and fairly cost effectively especially in 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 south africa um and so yeah i, I mean that's that's really the the driving force behind you know why people like me uh, and there's a few others who've been involved with the organization for so long I think are still here you know that's you, you can't buy that in another job um, yeah I think that meaning is worth more than than any form of currency you are you part of uh, or you going on to the next step now in, in your glorious mm-hmm. journey um, talk to us a little bit about what that next chapter holds for for Brady in terms of the uh, yeah, yeah the next step um, yeah, so I I'm uh, recently stepped down from my, my role as, as executive director of the South African Foundation, the South African chapter of the, the Laureus Sport for Good Foundation, and uh, I will be rejoining uh, my colleagues in, in London as part of the global team. Uh, it's a new role that that has been uh, that has been designed by a relatively new CEO of our Sport for Good Foundation, Adam Fraser. Um, and Adam has effectively asked me to look after, you know, be the director of strategy and operations for the global team. And uh, really what that means is uh, for me to look at innovative ways that we as a foundation can work globally moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that role will be um, overseeing this national foundation framework that I've been speaking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got seven offices in total around the world where there's they look after their own uh, their own market territories um, so it's managing that relationship from a global standpoint looking at at ways um, you know and this is fairly exciting exciting for me but looking at uh, ways as to how sport can play a role in climate change you know environmental awareness how, how does the sport industry how does sport uh, in general and, and certainly with with the assets we have mm-hmm. um, how do we play a role in addressing climate change so that's that's a strategy that that sits on my desk uh, to to kind of look forward to and, and then obviously you know the the usual you know certainly what what i was kind of managing here in south africa but looking after some of our kind of corporate partners in the foundation space and managing those relationships um so very exciting role uh Bittersweet in many respects mm. because obviously South Africa is close to my heart and uh, we've got an incredible team here in, in South Africa uh, that I've worked closely with over the last uh, over the last six years um, and so leaving a team is is never easy um, you know it's not one of those scenarios where you're leaving a company or an organization because you've had enough and you're yeah. tired and you're bored or whatever and you just want to kick on it's 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 more the the uh, the excitement and prospect of what lies ahead that that takes me to to London rather than being a grumpy South African that wants to leave the country yeah. Um, so yeah as I say very bittersweet uh, so, you know it's um, I'll fortunately have touch points with the team still in in my new role but uh, you know equally excited to be uh, starting with a, a new set of colleagues in in London and, and seeing what we can do on a more global level, um, you know, use, using sport to to tackle some of these social issues. And not uh, not leaving South Africa. Huh? No, no, no. Well, the uh, it's it, it, we're going to be commuting for a while, mm-hmm. as I said to you earlier. Um, I think uh, you know there, there there may be 
less travel to begin with because of mm -hmm. coronavirus. But um, you know, I, I think my family would probably welcome that, that yeah. I'm not, uh, not, not commuting uh, too much. But the plan is to commute for a while and we'll get to a position, I think, later in the year to decide how that's working out yeah. uh, and, okay. uh, and go from there. So this question wasn't on our, on our initial list, but I felt like I Surprise needed to ask question. it. Yeah, see how you go. Um, you've, you've spent a large amount of time in one organization um, from that first day that you arrived at Monaco to now. Um, what are some of the, the, the biggest growth points and lessons for you as, a, as an individual? If you take yourself as an individual on that first day at Monaco to um, to Brady right now, what's what's changed? How have you evolved as a as a person? Sure. Um, I, I mean, the the short answer is is significantly. Mm. Um, I mean, I think, and and that more than anything is probably just age as well. If that makes <laughs> sense. I mean, it's yeah. you know when you when you're twenty three years old, yeah, uh, and you're traveling and your first gig pretty much your first gig on your trip is Laureus, the very first Laureus Awards, and you're driving a smart car around the literally the F1 track in Monaco, and you're uh, standing at a Monte Carlo Bay poolside party where Boy George is the DJ and Mila Jovovich is dancing on the, the, the dance floor next to you, sporting heroes, I mean, you name it you know you you start at that point and I still recall actually saying to Doug at the time in Monaco that it's pretty much downhill from here like we're <laughs> never gonna top this like let's be honest we're never ever gonna top that night yeah. um, and so I think I think there there's an appreciation of of I think the Brett and Doug that arrived in London and with our, our kind of intentions of what we wanted to do travel work in bars, waiter, do what we needed to do to have a paycheck to allow us to travel for a sure. month or two. Yeah. Once we found Laureus, and that was fortunately or unfortunately in the very beginning of, mm -hmm. our, of our plans, I think we realized there was something special at play here, right? Yeah. That this was something that if we played our cards right and they kept us on and, and we didn't uh, discredit them at the poolside party in Monaco, that it could be something pretty special to be a part of, yeah. you know, if this organization continues. And I, I suppose in many respects, we hedged our bets there where we said, mm. okay, well, let's give it a shot. Like, I know we came here to travel, but, sure. you know, it, this could be something really cool for us to, to yeah. be involved in. And we did. And yeah. they fortunately did renew our contracts and we got our, uh, our first official um, Richmond contract in uh, I think it was in June um, 2000 okay. after the after the awards and so we were we were employees and and Laureus from that perspective started growing and and so did we like mm -hmm. you naturally grow in an organization that in, in its own right starts off at a, at a at a set point and then progresses 20 years mm -hmm. you're going to grow with that organization and there were significant learnings about it's in effect a startup and looking for funding and uh, the foundation growing and finding its feet you know we moved in the space of five years we moved from being an awards that had a charitable initiative to a charitable initiative that had an awards you know the, the role shifted significantly and and I think you know uh, as I say with with us the entire our entire growth mindset took place through those those 20 yeah. years you know the learnings the different capacities 
um, it, it, you know, there isn't, I can't say that there was one point where, where there was just a significant learning mm. and, and growth. It, sure. it literally was, um, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, along the way, you know, yeah. that was just one, one pathway that sure. was just up, up for us. Yeah. I think just looking at it from, looking at it from the side, outside in, um, the one thing I've always noticed about the way you go about certain things is um, you're very conscious about relationships. You're very conscious about, you know, sticking to what you say you're going to do. And um, I think the importance of that in terms of building long-term relationships is often things that we forget. Mm. So, you know, I think that's intrinsic to a lot of the people I work within, within Laurier. So I don't think it's any secret or surprise to, um, to people why you guys have built such a, a strong global brand because you know it's one thing the the names behind it but i think it's those <coughs> human connections that often you know play the biggest role i think that's i mean i think if if anyone externally had to had to come in to analyze you know how, how we work that that would certainly be first and foremost mm. what we would want to pride ourselves on mm. only because the entire organization revolves around relationships so and I'm talking about relationships between us and the programs we fund from a foundation standpoint, us, our, our relationship with funders. Mm. I mean, there's not many other properties, uh, sporting related properties in the world that can reflect on 20 years of a partnership with two significant brands. Yeah. You know, if we're talking Richmond and Daimler. Yeah. If I look in South Africa, you know, the first 13 years of the South African foundation's existence was funded by Discovery. So Discovery mm. held for 13 years were a funding partner, sponsor, yeah. uh, for want of a better word, of Laureus in South Africa, right? Yeah. So we've, I think there's a history there of long-term mm. partnerships. And, and so I think that would speak to how we engage and how we work with yeah. partners. And I think then th probably the most critical relationship asset base that we have is our ambassadors and the mm. academy members. These are in effect, between the academy members and the ambassadors, almost 250 personalities wow. that are involved as volunteers, out and out volunteers. So again, let's reference other organizations and brands that would want time from these people. It's an exceptional amount of time and value yeah. um, that these guys are giving to Laureus on a voluntary basis. Yeah. And so it's incredibly important that firstly, we never exploit that. So obviously we've got commercial partners mm -hmm. involved with us, but it's, in, it's, it's important we don't exploit that relationship sure. yeah. um, with them. And also just as important that we involve them in everything that we do. It's not mm -hmm. a case of just telling an ambassador every month, this is what we're doing, uh, you know, keeping them up to date, using them as and when sees fit. Yeah. They need to feel as though they're part of something Here as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's helped over the years, I think, is Having the personalities like the Sean Fitzpatrick's, the Mornay Duplessis, the Boris Beckers, the Michael Johnsons, who are able to pass on that level of trust yeah. to incoming ambassadors or academy members, to be able to say, guys, I've been with this organization for 15 years, you can't go wrong. Mm. This is what they do, this is what they don't do. You know, there's a, that, that level of trust, I think, is, is kind of embedded in the incoming uh, ambassador. And, and, and you know, they, they see that really as the, the familial approach that yeah. I refer that yeah. I referenced earlier that that's that that's how we operate. So, yeah, I mean it's 
without those relationships, Laureus as a as an entity collapses. It mm. it, it doesn't function the way it should. Yeah. Uh, without managing those relationships um, sure. and and valuing them, I guess ultimately. I wonder what's more sought after: an invite to the Masters or um, an invite to be a, a Laureus ambassador? It must be uh, neck and neck at this stage, right? depending on what what, what sporting, sporting code you like. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I think for an uh, for a. I think I think you see it when you go to things like the awards or any of the yeah. events that we're able to have that brings these personalities together. People forget that you know whilst Lewis Hamilton is obviously passionate about Formula One and he does what he does, that he has other interests too, sporting yeah. interests, and so he's going to find um, you know Sia Colisi yes. and the, the endeavor yeah. of the South African team. You know, recently, like we saw at the, at the awards in Berlin a few weeks ago. Mm. He's going to find that fascinating, yeah. and he's going to walk up to Sia, and Lewis Hamilton's going to ask Sia for a selfie. Right? That's that's the beauty of what of what Laureus does in in that respect. You know that that only happens at a Laureus type event, yeah. uh, because you know there's there's just the sport has this ability to to bring people together. You know, and I'm not just talking about obviously the, our focal area, which is disadvantaged communities and benefiting them, but. You know, you, you're talking about businessmen, high net worth individuals, uh, you know, sportsmen, um, businessmen, whatever it might be. Yeah. They get into a room and sport is the common denominator. There, there's a conversation, there's a topic, there's, um, you know, you chuck these guys where they, they might be a little frigid and aloof in a boardroom scenario just talking but put them on a football court with a football in the middle and all of a sudden yeah. you know those walls come down and people engage and they chat and they you know things happen um, it must be amazing to think what has come of yeah. um, that evening around the same table or you know at yeah. the awards or a discussion at one of the activations or whatever the case might be i mean it must be endless mm. there's no way of quantifying it but no, it exactly no i mean it's, it's it's a special platform you yeah. know to to be able to to engage uh, not to drag it out but there was a very there was a very cool um, kind of engagement that we saw a few years ago. Skulk Berger was nominated for Comeback of the Year at the yes. time, obviously coming back from his significant illness, and he obviously went on to win the award mm. uh, that night. It was in Shanghai, mm. and at the after party, uh, one of the one of the presenters that was there that night was uh, Henry Cavill, an English actor who played Superman. Um, obviously, and uh, the Man of Steel, I think the movie was that yeah. he was in. And uh, Henry was an avid rugby fan, like a rugby nut. Played okay. rugby at school, absolutely loved rugby. And here was this kind of Hollywood star at the after party who was like completely in awe of Skulk Burger. You know, loved rugby, knew yeah. Skulk's story, yes. watched Skulk play rugby, and was just blown away by Skulk, you know. Right. Um, and couldn't get enough in yeah. terms of spending time with Skulk and chatting to Skulk and what have you. So, again, just another you know, it's 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 an interesting dynamic that plays out in that in that space. Yeah, there's benefit both ways, which is amazing. You know, yeah, for, yeah, for, for the interest perspective, uh, which is was awesome. Yeah, um, I'm gonna change this question slightly, considering how well travelled you've uh, been fortunate to be over the uh, the last twenty years. Um, we always ask what your if you had to be able to visit one restaurant for the rest of your life, um, what would that be? But I do know that you spend a significant amount of time also in uh, St Andrews, um, and uh, so I'm just going to be a two-part question. The one is as it normally is, which is your 
uh, one restaurant that if you had to visit, which would it be? And the second part is the favorite um, bar that you've visited in St. Andrews uh, during your time at the Dynamics. So when, when I, think, I think my favorite restaurant, and, and by no means a, uh, uh, you know, as we would say in South Africa, a Lani restaurant yeah. or anything exclusive like that, but when we, when we would work in Monaco, so when I was working on the implementation side of things at the awards, we'd be out there like six weeks at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So you're living in a flat and, and you're working on, on kind of setup of the event. Um, and there was a number of, um, they would refer to them as the local people in Monaco are Monegasque, right? Yeah. That's, that's what they would be referred to. So the local Monegasque people that, that were part of the team and so they would kind of host us, you know, mm -hmm. go here, do this, do that, go to this restaurant. And there was a there, there was there was two ladies that worked with us, and they uh, were Italian, right? Italian uh, living in Monaco, Monegas, but but Italian. And Monaco is just on the one the one border is France, and the other border is Italy. And we would cross over, and they took us to a an amazing little uh, restaurant, literally just across the border, into Italy, and it was called Basta Pasta, okay. right? But it was that kind of quintessential old school Italian restaurant where the you know the Italian mama would come out and she's loud yeah. and jovial yeah. and you know she could never push enough food down your throat and what they would do like you would order you would order some food for the mm -hmm. table they wouldn't bring out plates of food mm -hmm. like Rob here's your spaghetti bolognese Brett here's your Alfredo they would bring out three or four bowls, massive bowls okay. of pasta. And the yeah. design really was, you know, similar to a kind of tapas vibe yes. where you just kind of get stuck into four or five different okay. Italian dishes, you know, yeah. and you just, but they were massive. I mean, mm. you left that table, there could be 12 of you around the table yeah. and you left there with like so much pasta left in, yeah. the, in the bowl. So yeah. it was just an incredible, you know, that the red checkered, red and white checked yes. kind of tablecloths, the, you know, the old school awesome. Italian. So I would say if there was one that I could, I'm a, I'm a pasta fan. So obviously that's, that's why I would say that. Yeah. Um, and on St. Andrews, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, look, there's, there's a couple of really good spots in, in, in St. Andrews. I think if we're talking, I, I would probably have to ask you if I could mention two okay. and that would be just for pure heritage, the jigger, yeah. right? So to, to have a couple of pints and the jigger in and, and obviously with all its history in, uh, uh, yeah. Um, you know, to have all of the, that yeah. history and heritage and you're right on the old course, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, it's amazing. Uh, and then I think, you know, for, for the good old razzmatazz on town, you've, yeah. you've got to go Marbells, I think. I mean, it's, uh, I think we, we, we know a few people who are pretty much part of the furniture at, at Marbell. Very much so. I was just about to say, I think you've put your, your best foot forward in that institution a few times, and, and so have a couple of other boys that we, we, we call yeah. mutual friends. Um, Freddie, it's, uh, it's such a pleasure to chat, and um, that story is just so inspiring. I think it's, um, as I said earlier, what, what, what inspires me so much is there's such strong South African roots to such a global, globally impactful um, cause and movement um, so from our side I just wanted to wish you the best of uh, luck with the new chapter um, I'm sure you're going to do amazing things on, on the global front um, and look forward to chatting again in the future absolutely thank yeah. you uh, enjoy the podcast keep it up thank you uh, thanks uh, for your for your support as ever and, and good luck to you and the team in all your endeavors too
appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Brittany. Cheers. That's it for today, guys. If this episode brought you value, please do subscribe to the podcast series. And for more information on building your organizational culture, visit us at rcaconsulting.biz. We'll see you in the next episode.